0: Hello and welcome to Right Care Baptist. I'm Jake Lancaster, an internal medicine physician and the chief medical information officer. And I'm Amanda Comer, the system director for advanced practice providers. And today we are honored to have Dr. Vanderwald here to talk to us a little bit about breast cancer. Dr. Vanderwald, welcome to the program. Thank you. Can you tell the audience just a little bit of your, your background?
1: Uh, Yeah, so my name is uh, Lindy Vanderwald. I'm a breast cancer surgeon, so I've completed my training as a general surgeon and then completed a fellowship in uh, the disease of the breast. I've been with Baptist Medical Group since 2013, and we treat patients with um, any disease of the breast and primarily uh, breast cancer or other abnormalities that have been detected either on exam or mammography.
0: Well, thank you so much for joining us. And I I think most people should be aware that this is October and this is Breast Cancer Awareness Month. And so we're trying to just provide a a general update to the medical staff. But um, can you help just give us a little bit of a refresher and and tell us about the incidence of breast cancer? You know, Is it going up? Is it going down, staying about the same? What are you seeing?
1: Yeah, so uh, breast cancer is uh, one of the more common malignancies in women. The incidence over the past 20 years has increased slightly, um, which can probably be contributed to early detection. Um, Currently, there are about 280,000 new breast cancer diagnoses made in the United States annually. Um, And unfortunately, also um, as many as uh, 40,000 deaths annually. Um, Importantly, though, survival is significantly improved in the past Thirty years, and we saw we've seen a significant improvement in survival. Um, so that is in the favorable part of breast cancer.
0: I think I saw what was it like twelve percent of all women will go on to get breast cancer during their lifetime. Does that sound right?
1: Yes. Yeah, that's we usually say, or one in eight is a easier way for many people to conceptualize outside of percentages. So. Yeah, one in eight women, a lot of people come to us and ask, you know, why why did this happen to me? And unfortunately, it's often going to just be because of of gender and being female, of course, increases that risk. Although men can also get breast cancer, though, while not, not as common. And so a lot of people ask, you know, why, why did it happen to me? And it's just a one in eight. If you think about how many women you encounter today, unfortunately, one in eight will get breast
0: cancer. Wow. Wow. So, it doesn't seem like we can have a podcast without talking about COVID. So, has COVID affected the diagnosis and treatment of breast cancer? Uh, Yes.
1: Well, COVID has affected our screening, as many other routine um, screenings have been affected by COVID. So, for breast cancer... Um, so in early 2020, obviously, when we pandemic started, the risks of entering the medical system at that time, as well as the strain that was placed on the medical system um, because of the pandemic response, we uh, in our office, as well as a lot of mammogram centers across the country, um, intentionally asked patients to stay home for like month of April uh, 2020. Uh, so in that month, absolutely, we saw a dem- dramatic decrease in the screening that was offered to patients as lo- as much as 80% of screening was canceled in April 2020. Um, and that was a very appropriate at the time, considering the medical resources had to be diverted to the pandemic response. Um, what we saw, though, over 2020 is that screening has not come back as quickly as we want, and um, and for that can be for a number of reasons, of course. So for many women, there are you know some studies where they've looked at you know local um, shutdowns or when the when a state was asked you know asked people to stay at home for different surges that have happened. We'll see again a decrease in, in screening and. Um, we definitely want to try to encourage people is to return to screening as soon as is reasonable. Uh, especially if now, you know, now knowing now kind of where we are at the steady state of the pandemic and our hospitals have an improved response to the immediate crisis that was presented to us. Um, But also because we know that we in healthcare can provide a safe environment to our patients, of course, that we've always done a good job with infection control so we do encourage our patients to get back to screening, but um, definitely over the course of 2020 saw a sustained decrease in screening um, because of a lot of competing issues. You know, firstly, women were home, potentially they had um, different uh, issues at home, maybe children at home. Uh, there could have been uh, financial barriers uh, to people who, because of the pandemic, had um, increased financial burdens at home and then maybe delayed health care So for those reasons, we're we're seeing that. I would just encourage people to come on back. That's
0: right. So what are the current guidelines for screening?
1: Uh, Yes, I currently recommend that women would start mammograms. Around age 40, um, so we we do recommend. There's a few different guidelines uh, that have been presented for, by different organizations. Um, the American Society of Breast Surgeons, and American College of Radiology, do recommend return uh, screening should begin at age 40. Uh, so this is an uh, would be annual mammogram, and um, with at, starting at age 40 and then continuing uh, through at least 70 and older, depending on a woman's health and Of course, so many of our 70-year-olds are (laughs) so healthy, and and, um, we would encourage them to continue screening, uh, usually well into their 80s. Uh, For many women, that would be appropriate, though, of course, always discuss with your physician, uh, depending on other health issues as you get older, um, and potentially a younger woman with health issues as well can discuss that. But usually starting age 40, it would be an annual screening. Yeah.
0: And then tell us a little bit about the, the diagnosis. So you have an abnormal mammogram. What happens next? Okay.
1: So, right, that can be, this is probably the most anxiety-provoking part of any woman's mammography journey. So, the first thing I like to let people know is, you know, mammogram, like any test, has um, you know, a certain level of sensitivity and specificity, and it's not uncommon for people to have an abnormal mammogram in a screening study and be recalled for additional testing. So, um, about a quarter of women at some point will get recalled for a screen from their screening. So, that's that's the first thing. It doesn't necessarily mean there's for sure going to be a um definitive finding on the additional mammography and potentially a biopsy, but um, a lot of people will get recalled. So um, screening would be first. Screening is taking two views of the breast, of each breast, and then if an abnormality is detected, uh, the patient might be recalled for additional mammogram. The mammogram will be repeated potentially with some additional views. If there is an abnormality confirmed, then biopsy will be completed. Um often uh, biopsy will be scheduled um, close either same day or close to that diagnostic uh, mammogram and um, the biopsy the gold standard for a breast biopsy if there's an abnormality on a mammogram will be using a needle biopsy technique so this is something that people can drive themselves to a person can drive themselves to and from that uh, biopsy it's done under local anesthetic and um, Medication injected into the breast, needle inserted into the breast, into the abnormality seen either on mammogram or ultrasound, and a few samples take, are taken of the tissue abnormality and sent for pathology. And we will get the results back usually in in two to three days, and then can um, you know move forward with the patient's care. Um, one in our and Baptist certainly, well, I can speak to. Um, our breast centers, but our breast centers do have an, a nurse navigator. Uh, these are uh, nurses trained in um, tracking the biopsy results, um, helping navigate the patient through that process of the abnormal mammogram to getting the biopsies, and then, um, you know, following up with the patient afterwards. Either if it's a, a ben- hopefully a benign result, if it's an, um, what should be the appropriate mammogram follow-up, or follow-up with your physician, or if needed, a surgical referral. Uh, potentially either for breast cancer diagnosis or other disease of the breast that requires surgical intervention. I guess I always like to remind everybody that our breast center is um, a nationally accredited breast center through the American College of Surgeons. So we do provide very high level of care here, including navigation, which is part of that. Following patients that uh, have high risk of breast cancer, as well as uh, being able to provide comprehensive care, uh, where in terms of the imaging, where we have mammogram, ultrasound, MRI, and biopsy capability for all three modalities, and then integrated care with um, surgery, oncology, and radiation, and plastic surgery as needed. Wow, that's that's incredible. Are there different types of breast cancer? There are, yes. So certainly is a big umbrella term that we, that is thrown out there, um, but there are different types of breast cancer that have different um, biologic action and um, will you know, act differently in, in different people. So uh, when someone does get a breast cancer diagnosis, there's a few different tests that will be performed on the breast cancer to determine the subtype. Uh, There are some breast cancers that tend to be more indolent, a little uh, less aggressive. Um, Those tend to be the ones that are sensitive to hormones, though not always. Um, And then there are more aggressive subtypes where we'll see essentially they're not responsive to the normal hormones in the body. Uh, We often call those like triple negative breast cancers, breast cancers that have um, that don't have these same uh, markers. And then there's also HER2-positive breast cancers, which is a different group of uh, breast cancers that has the HER2 receptor is overproduced on the outside of the breast cancer cell. And those um, breast cancers have some very targeted therapies that have been developed toward them, so um, very effective therapies, but also um, another way that we can treat breast cancer. So I would certainly say that's going to be our – the next horizon, certainly in breast cancer, is going to be – you know. very targeted treatments. Um, you know, who is the patient? Taking, incorporating the patient's other medical concerns into their care, and then developing their best treatment plan, depending on the subtype, and um, an individualized treatment care plan.
0: Now that, that's great information on the subtypes. I was I pulled up this this JAMA article from 2017. I was trying to prepare for this. And is it true that they've renamed the HER2 receptor to, to something like something ERBB2? I was like, that's really going to confuse everybody that was okay. in my med school class.
1: Yeah, I, I get, yes, it is written. It is we still call it HER2, but yeah. yes, in the term, you'll see it in the medical literature that way.
0: So if you're studying for your boards, I guess you got to learn something new.
1: I don't know if they were always just called that, if they were, maybe it was called that in different ways, and that's just recognized to be the same thing. I'm not sure how that happened.
0: <laughs> well, we're always trying to get somebody an extra point on, on their exam scores uh, from this podcast if we can, but, um, you know, I, it was interesting when you were talking about, I guess, you know, your, your aggressive versus less aggressive subtypes, and can you comment just a little bit more on Uh, on on what you see with each one of those, you know, whether it's triple negative, uh, the HER2 versus uh, hormone receptor positive, like, like, how do you view those, those three subtypes?
1: Yeah. So, right. So for, yeah, I definitely want to emphasize certainly if there's anybody, you know, anyone in the community listening when breast cancer is very curable and survivable, Um, A lot of that does depend on stage of presentation. Uh, Early stage disease, regardless of subtype, is going to be very curable and treatable, survivable. Um, And, you know, uh, higher stages, that can sometimes be um, a more aggressive treatment approach, but it's still very, very curable disease. Um, the the way that we have to think about it often what will happen is after a patient has their abnormal mammogram and biopsy or if they felt something in a biopsy, there a lot of people will start in the surgery surgeon's office. Um, certainly, the way we coordinate it in our office is the surgeon becomes that um, the, the guiding, the initial guiding physician, we will often see the patient first, uh, develop a treatment plan, and breast cancer is treated by three specialties, um, surgery medical oncology, and then radiation oncology. So uh, the patients will usually start in the surgeon office, and then we will help uh, develop their treatment plan, which will include surgery at some point for most patients. But not everybody starts with surgery. Um, the different subtypes will depend, Will help me determine how to best treat the patient, um, like what should be their next first step. Some patients, we're going to want to recommend chemotherapy as our first step. So that's where the HER2 and the triple negative breast cancers come in. If someone has a HER2-positive breast cancer or triple-negative breast cancer, uh, certainly anything of a larger size, I will recommend chemotherapy first. Um, so uh, that's our office. Like We'll see them first and help them get set up. And it is important for them to see the surgeon before chemotherapy so we can make sure all the mammograms and all the imaging has been completed before they start with chemo. But then we will set the referral up, see a medical oncologist, um, start chemotherapy, and assess the tumor response. Um, This is becoming very important in both triple negative and HER2 positive breast cancers, where we'll start with chemotherapy and then after the treatment, go to surgery and see how the tumor has responded. Um, In the HER2 positive breast cancers, uh, if the patient has responded very well, there's an opportunity to maybe de-escalate care afterwards, potentially um, give less chemotherapy after surgery, if the cancer potentially has entirely responded, which is what we call a complete response. Um, and the triple negative, same thing. If there's a complete response, then we know our initial chemotherapies were a good choice, but if there uh, has not been the complete response, there is opportunity to add additional therapy, and uh, immunotherapies are now under investigation for that subtype of breast cancer. So uh, that that's kind of how we approach those. Um, hormone-positive breast cancers, often the patient will do surgery first, and then Maybe medicate. It's definitely hormone blocking medications afterwards, like uh, anastrozole, electrosol, the aromatase inhibitors, or um, chemotherapy, depending on the stage.
0: And, and and you mentioned depending on the stage. So is this, you know, obviously if it's stage four cancer, you you may have a different approach. But are the approach you just discussed is that stage one through three, or is that just stages one and two, or or how do you, um, I guess, think about surgery and staging?
1: Yes, yeah, stage surgery would would patients with uh, stage one, two, three are going to be surgical candidates. Patient in stage four often do not um, undergo local therapies like surgery or radiation.
0: All right. So the patient came in. They had either the you know chemotherapy upfront, or they had the surgery and then they continued on the the therapy afterwards. Um, what is the post op course? Um, what is that? What does that look like? How do you monitor these patients?
1: Mm mm-hmm uh so yeah long oftentimes our patients will have their surgery of course in our office we see patients back um at at least one to two week visit and ensure they're healing from their operation review their pathology with them and then uh, place any additional referrals to either radiation or oncology at that point long term um we'll our office, we like to follow the patients for the first few years after their breast cancer treatment. Um, our off, in our office, we like to get the patients back on track for their mammograms, and I would be the ordering physician for their future mammograms for at least the first few years after their initial treatment. And it's usually going to be every six-month visit um, and mammograms. So it'll be a physical exam every six to 12 months. Um, in our, in my practice and the practice of my partners, Dr. and Dr. Zachariah, we see the patients every six months, at least for the first two years, um, just to ensure they are healing from the operation and identifying any concerns from their uh, healing uh, from that standpoint uh, after having completed the treatment. And then um, mammogram will be every six to 12 months also for the first two years and then usually annually after that. Um, in women who have had a mastectomy... Uh, We do not do mammogram on the affected side, and we would examine the patient and um, continue follow up with breast exams, examining the uh, chest wall or reconstructed breast and lymph nodes.
0: So just real quick, because you had mentioned that um, patients with breast cancer are treated by surgeons, medical oncologists, and radiation uh, therapists. But with the the kind of the standard treatment you were describing, I, I didn't hear how radiation oncology fit in. I guess with your standard um, patient. So can can you just explain a little bit more about when you would consult with them?
1: Yeah. So radiation oncology is a critical part of breast surgery, of breast cancer care. Uh, so any woman who saves a breast will get radiation therapy. So lumpe. So we have two options for most women with breast cancer, um, and many women will prefer to do breast conserving surgery. So if someone has a small single focus of disease in the breast, then they would be a great candidate for breast conservation. So we would save the breast and you do a lumpectomy, just take out the um, abnormal area. And then that is always followed with radiation therapy. So radiation is a critical part of our our treatment. Uh, there are other indications for radiation uh, depending on stage. So women with uh, stage, uh, sometimes stage two or three breast cancer will require radiation in other settings. But I'd say breast conservation is our number one reason why our patients are getting radiation. And um, so what'll we? Ha- there's a few different ways that can be done. We could do radiation, and I, I'll, I'll save. You can have a podcast with one of our radiation doctors to have the actual details. But um, from a breast surgeon's perspective, um, we have the option for whole breast radiation or partial breast radiation. And um, whole breast radiation is our traditional radiation external beam. It's usually, it usually takes three to four weeks to accomplish that. And, and then there's partial breast radiation where only a part of the breast is radiated. That technology is... Um, is a good approach for women with very early stage disease. So usually going to be our, um, older women, um, older than 45 hormone, positive stage one, um, favorable breast cancers. Those women are going to be candidates for partial radiation. Um, I, I stress that because it's exciting. and Not everyone knows that our Baptist women's hospital does have a, um, Partial breast radiation machine called the Zoft machine, and that can administer radiation in the operating room. So it's a one-time dose partial radi- partial breast radiation that's administered one time in the operating room at the time of the lumpectomy. So very very nice for the patient. It's extremely convenient. Um, they you know ha- go under anesthesia. We have their lumpectomy, lymph node biopsy, and radiation all completed in that one session. Takes about two hours. Outpatient, home the same day, minimal downtime. And if uh, all the pathology at the end of the surgery continues to be amenable to that approach, meaning that the margins are negative, the lymph node remains negative, staging hasn't changed, then the patient is, is done with their local care. Um, and then they, after that episode, that one single surgical episode, they continue, they go on to medical oncology and talk about endocrine therapy like anastrozole and, and um, aromatase inhibitors going forward. So that's um, a good plug for a women's hospital who has that amazing uh, machine. Um, and then otherwise patients could if there's um, either a higher stage or a less favorable subtype like the HER2 positive or triple negative breast cancers, those patients will tr- go on to traditional whole breast radiation.
0: So. No, thank you for sharing that. That's, that's exciting. Yeah. Yes, you spoke to many um, new innovations, but is there anything else on the horizon in the field that you anticipate? Uh, Yeah, I think, you know, the key
1: in breast cancer is really becoming individualization. Um, And I hinted to it a few times in what we talked about, but we um, are doing really changing the therapy for the type of cancer Um, and based on the response to the treatment. So that's happening more and more in breast cancer. Uh, We do have um, always like to give a plug for our clinical trials program here because we have a very robust clinical trials uh, portfolio, especially with uh, breast in in regards to breast cancer treatment. Um, So we do have... um, Like one of our trials is looking at HER2-positive breast cancers. You give the patient starts with targeted HER2 therapy, and then they go to surgery. If there's been that complete response, then the patient just will continue on the treatment already offered. If there was not a complete response, they change to a different HER2-directed therapy. So that's like one of our trials. We have another trial looking at um, trying to omit axillary dissection um, for patients who have had a partial response, Uh, to chemotherapy. Uh, So patients start with neoadjuvant chemotherapy. If they've had a good response in the axilla, maybe we can avoid axillary dissection and treat patients with radiation alone. So a lot of um, individualized care is going forward in breast cancer, also with um, a lot of attention to de-escalating, you know, trying to make sure the patient gets what's appropriate for them and not just Um, the treatment that was historically given, but starting to narrow it down, like based on the biology as we've uncovered more about these different tumor types. So that's very exciting um, in breast cancer. Um, The other thing I'd want to make sure the medical staff is aware of is because I am a cancer liaison physician for our commission on cancer committee. um, Down The American College of Surgeons is emphasizing operative standards now. So that is something um, Jake's working on as well. We have to work on uh, making sure we have our synoptic uh, reports in our operative reports. So that's uh, everyone should please be on the lookout for that. Uh, It's going to be coming up in the years to come. Basically, what we want to try to do is make sure our operative notes very clearly um detail the cancer operation that was completed so American College of Surgeons has uh, synoptic reporting that they um, that they suggest similar to how we've seen that in pathology and um, these will be available in epic and can easily be imported into our epic notes uh, where will the surgeon will just be asked to to fill out the form so that, Um, we can always be sure that if in the future you need to return back to that patient's chart or for our registrar or if patient transfers care, it'll be very clearly documented what their cancer operation was. And we'll be rolling that out for breast, colon, and melanoma uh, as our first line um, reporting that would come up in the next few years. So look out for that. It's 2022. It's
0: going to no, no, that's well, that's a, great reminder. <laughs> that <is> a <laughs> great reminder, that's a great reminder, you know, it's obviously going to be a, a, a change for the medical staff, but it's going to certainly help, you know, kind of standardize how we describe, you know, things so that we can track and get a better understanding of outcomes and things going forward. Yeah. So, certainly a long ways, uh, when you're talking about the personalization and everything, certainly, you know, we've come a long ways from the the radical mastectomy, I guess. Yes. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for, for coming on the, the podcast. Uh, I, I know I learned a lot um, and uh, appreciate your time. Is, is there anything else that you want the, the medical staff or, or patients in the community to be aware of?
1: No, just, yeah, the reminder to get back to screening if, if it's something you've put off. Um, we just encourage not only breast cancer screening, but colon cancer screening, other medical, uh, traditional medical screenings, our annual screenings. We should all get those back, um, get those done. And I want to say thank you to everybody for all their hard work the past two years. I know it's been incredibly stressful on everyone. And I just really appreciate being part of this hospital community and um, the good work everyone's done. Thank you.
0: No, very well said. Um, and and thank you, everybody, for, for listening to Right Care Baptist. Remember, if you follow the link in the show notes, you can re- redeem this episode for CME credit.